Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. We're back. I'm here with Yusip Roine. What's up? Hey, Toby. So two things are top of my head. First thing, it's middle of April and it is snowing in Helsinki. Yeah, and and <laughs> I'm I'm not mentally prepared for this, and they are forecasting the snow to continue for three more days. Uh, but then again, we didn't really have a winter this year, so perhaps we'll get the winter in in a pure period of three days now. Better late than never, right? Yeah, but <laughs> but the kids the kids love it, so so that's the upside. But the real thing that I've been up to lately, uh, since I've been stuck at home, like like I think everybody lately, um, I've got an extra balcony at home. And what I mean by extra balcony is that I've I've got a balcony that I don't really use. I've got another balcony that I use. And then another one that's mostly empty. So what what we did with the family uh, uh, maybe a week ago, we cleaned it up, the one that we don't use. Uh, We washed all the windows and and the tiles and the floors and everything. And then I figured I need to use it for something. And long story short, because I had too much time and I cannot go to a store now. So I, I went online. I started researching what I could build in the balcony. And what I'm now in the process of is building my own home gym. And when I mean home gym, it's, it's not just two kettlebells to, to, to lift up and down. It's the whole thing. So I'm, I'm in the process of figuring out the prices, asking for offers to, to source uh, the rack and, and to put all the weights in there and really have my own home gym so that I don't have to go to the actual gym now. And the hope is that I would do more gym than before because it would be readily accessible. But I think the downside is that I will see the gym at home. I will do it once and then I figure, yeah, let's not do it today. I'll do it tomorrow. But I will still have some use for the balcony though. (laughs) Been there and I've done that. Uh, (laughs) I I used to have home gyms at, at a certain point in my life as well. And it, I mean, the idea is good, but actually going to the gym helps a lot, at least with my own motivation, because, you know, home gymming, it's exactly what you say. You see it and you think, I should do it now, but I mean, it's right there, so I can do it whenever, and then you just postpone yeah. it. So. Yeah, that's that's sort of my fear, but uh, since I'm, I'm getting the whole thing so that I, I, I can do all the... The, all the movements, all the exercises at home that I normally do when I go to the gym now, um, I hope that I will be so happy and stoked that I actually got them eventually when they arrive and when, when I order them, that then I will, I will be forced to use the gym almost every second day. Uh, probably four weeks from now, so about four episodes from now, we'll know more. Yeah, sounds good. So how about for you? So speaking of winter... We didn't really have a lot of winter, but we did get some snow and hail the other day. And in the last episode, I mentioned I built this cool herb wall where I put all the herbs and and flowers and everything outdoors. Yeah, all of those died. So now I have to reinstall that with new plants. 
Uh, so, so it's it's not just your gardening skills; it's the hail and the winter. Yeah. So so now I I might postpone that a couple of weeks until I know there's no snow, hail, or frost coming, which I thought was already over because we had 10 degrees and then it switched to minus one and snow. So um, that happened. Other than that, I, I built a rocket stove out of a two cent piece of wood. It's oh. obviously not IoT enabled, unfortunately, but a, the idea of a rocket stove is, uh, in, in this case, it's a huge piece of log and I drill a hole in the top and then one hole from the side and it creates this uh, kind of chimney. So I put a small uh, ignition fire in the middle and the wind blows into the hole from the side and blows the air up and then the, the fire comes up. So I can just put a pot on top of that. So if there is no fireplace where I'm going, if I'm going outdoors, I can bring one of those two cent piece of wood and I just okay. put it on fire inside of it and put the kettle on top and I can boil my coffee water right there on the spot wherever I am. That's pretty cool. Okay. So, so in Finland, we normally use a microwave for, for heating <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> our food. But then again, if I'm, if I'm trekking and hiking, that might be a bit problematic. So, so it's, how big is the, is the piece of the wood that you use? So the normal rocket stove that I did in the past, they're, they're pretty big. But this is a portable one. So I, I can put a picture in the show notes later or a link to the picture. And it's two decimeters or 20 centimeters high and 15 centimeters wide. So it's super small and there's enough juice in, in one of those. It, it burns enough to boil two full pots of water. Oh, wow. Cool. So it's, so that's what I use it for. So, okay. I, I might need to build one at least when I'm done with the gym, I'll build a rocket stove myself and put it on the balcony as well. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Alrighty, so today's topic is succeeding with Cloud Adoption Framework, or CAF for short. And this is an interesting piece of content mostly. So it's a framework, but it's, it's mostly a bunch of documentations and, and guidance and guidelines on how do you succeed in end-to-end cloud adoption uh, and it's primarily aimed for Azure deployments. Yeah. And when you say cloud adoption, I mean, this is a term that is pretty wide. So what do we mean when we say, you know, succeed with your cloud adoption? What does that really entail? It's, it's a fancy word. And in this context, it's about migrating one or multiple workloads from on-premises from your existing data centers to Azure and you don't have to get rid of what you already have in on-prem, but the idea with the adoption is that you actually adopt those practices, those methodologies in the cloud, and they will become a seamless part of, of your uh, cloud estate, as the saying goes. Right. So it's not just moving stuff from your on-prem environment to the cloud, but it's also adapting and then, of course, adopting to the standards and practices of how you should do things cloud native and not just moving assets over. Yeah, and I often think that when I when I talk with IT pros and devs and somebody mentions migration, everybody starts talking about the different tools and the and the configuration settings and do we need a VPN in here and do I do a lift and shift? It's it's really practical hands-on and that's good. But with adoption, it's more about the business outcomes, the business justification. What's the strategy that we actually go to the cloud? Even if you've decided that, sure, we will deploy Azure, 
But besides being a technical exercise, there's a lot more to it. And that, I feel, is the purpose of cloud adoption framework. It has the technical bits as well, but that's perhaps a tiny part of this. And it's more about the big picture as well. How do you plan? How do you get ready? How do you manage things? How do you organize? How do you define the strategy? And how do you measure those outcomes? So that later on, if you've spent perhaps six months adopting the cloud, how do you measure later on and say, this was a success? Yeah. Without really saying we have one VM running in the cloud, so we are fully fully in the cloud now. Yeah. So before we dive into the the different sections and, and ideas of the the CAF or cloud adoption framework, if someone is tuning in right now and they want to very quickly go and, and take a look and follow along when we talk, what's the best place for them to go to figure out more? So, so, so one of the things you learn quite quickly when, when or if you join Microsoft as an employee like I did last year is that you have to memorize a lot of things. And one of those things is these short addresses, these short links. So they are in the format of aka.ms slash something. So if you type in aka.ms slash CAF, C-A-F, it takes you directly to docs.microsoft.com and under Azure, you'll have cloud adoption framework. And from there, there's a getting started bit that kind of briefly explains what the whole cloud adoption framework is about. Yeah, and there's quite a lot of resources in there. I was in taking a look at the, the doc site for the cloud adoption framework, and they are working a lot on that. So there's a plethora of resources available at the moment. Yeah, this was introduced last year and they they produce frequent updates. And I'm looking at this now and the latest update is from April 4, 2020. So relatively fresh. Uh, and it's probably worth noting that this is still in public preview. So it's a bunch of documents, a lot of links to different Microsoft resources that are available already. But this gathers everything together and it's a framework, and you can follow the framework from step one to step two and so forth, or you can pick and choose. If you already have a strategy, let's skip that one, let's go to adoption, or let's go to governance. And you don't have to uh, deploy or follow through everything in here. So you can kind of do a la carte, pick and choose what you like, or then, then you can follow this through and, and really get the full benefit of the framework. Yeah. So if, if you were to cherry pick, because I see a lot of use cases for a lot of different roles within the organization with this framework, but if you were to cherry pick or say, who will benefit from this the most? What is the intended audience for using the, the CAF or the cloud adoption framework? So often when I meet with companies, with Microsoft partners, with MVPs, uh, there's so many different roles nowadays, back in the day, um, which I think was 20 plus years ago, we had an IT pro and we had a dev, and that was mostly it. We had two roles, the dev would do dev stuff and the IT pro would do IT stuff. But nowadays, you have so many different roles. You might have somebody who's an IT pro, but they only focus on certain aspects uh, of Azure or, or Microsoft 365. Uh, so the cloud adoption framework, we could say that it's, in essence, it's aimed for the cloud architect. So how I see an architect uh, 
typically an architect is the sort of person who can plan, who can design, who can talk with the business, who can talk with the techies, and who can also execute, follow up, and, and lead the whole transformation to the cloud. And then we'll be capable of, of, of mandating how do we move forward from here now that we are in the cloud. Uh, you might be a developer, who becomes a cloud architect, or you might be an IT pro who becomes a cloud architect. I, I wouldn't say it, it requires you to be capable of, of producing code, but I would say it's super useful if you understand the JSON data structures, meaning ARM templates typically and Azure policy templates and whatnot. But the cloud architect, that's the intended audience for the cloud adoption framework. Yeah. So he's pretty much a, a thought leader and facilitator to bring all these audiences together in the different departments and yeah, everyone involved to, to make the cloud journey a success. Yeah, and it's, it's probably worth noting here as well that the cloud adoption framework, it's not just the thoughts from this one person at Microsoft who decided, okay, this is the best way to do it. This is a collection of best practices from Microsoft, meaning Microsoft employees, the product groups, as well as Microsoft partners and customers. So all of those different groups of, of people got together and created the first version of the cloud adoption framework. And I'm, I'm watching at the frequency of the updates, and there's about two updates a month now for this documentation. Yeah, and that's pretty good. And, and, you know, being real, real world best practices from not only Microsoft, but also the, the partners and customers. I think this is a pretty good resource. Yeah. So, and, and one of the challenges has sometimes been with, with Microsoft content is that somebody creates an enterprise driven framework for something. And, and what comes to mind is SharePoint back in the day again. <laughs> somebody would create this amazing guidance. And then you're sitting at home, leaning on your IKEA chair again, reading through those that guidance and figuring, oh, this seems awfully complex. I just want to create this tiny piece of content for my intranet, but this requires me to install Team Foundation server and have have four servers for testing and all these things when I just want to get something small done. And what I especially like with the cloud adoption framework is that it doesn't assume anything in that sense. It gives you the guidance and you're free to pick at the extent as you feel fit. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the idea of the cloud adoption framework, and I really like this and I, I like the tools and resources available. Um, but if we talk strategy and, and we talk theory, it consists of a few different parts. What are those parts? So... As part of the cloud adoption framework, there's a total of seven modules. They are not numbered, though, so, so I did the counting myself. Still quite proud of this. Um, and, and the models in, in order are strategy, plan, ready, migrate, innovate, govern, and manage. And as I said before, if you feel that you don't need any planning, you already know what you're doing, just skip planning, even though I would advise heavily to go through all of these. There's a lot of content, but you don't have to read everything, everything, but just read the overview of each of these seven modules. Yeah, and I, I think this is, a, again, coming back to aka.ms slash CAF. 
if you go there, you will get a great overview of exactly this and also understanding of uh, the motivations behind it and the entire framework. But also the resource section will help you structure the work for each of these sections. So when you're actually implementing this, there's going to be a lot of resources available to help. Um, so you mentioned these seven modules that currently exist. And the first one being strategy, because before we can actually move something, we need to you know, start thinking about what to move and how to move it and what's the strategy going to be. So what's the strategy of the cloud adoption framework? What do we need to think about when we start this? So we need to start with motivations. And the idea is that you meet with your key stakeholders and often you need an executive sponsor. So if you are the cloud architect and, and you want to run through the transformation that we will go to the cloud, we will have this and these things in the cloud. Typically in CAF, you would select one or two workloads that you feel would be better in the cloud than in on-premises. So in order for this to succeed, you will need to know what the key stakeholders are thinking about. And often when you have an executive stakeholder or a sponsor, they will also support these, these outcomes. Otherwise, you might be doing a great work, but at the end of the day, somebody will complain, oh, we didn't realize it will cost this and this, or we feel it's, it's not viable for us. And all of that work will be for nothing. So you fix the motivation and then you fix the business outcomes. And once you have these two, then you can create the business justification. All right. And, and finally, as part of strategy, you choose the right first project. It could be a virtual machine. It could be an internal application. It could be something new that you create. But these four steps, motivation, business outcomes, business justification, and choosing the right first project, these form the strategy first. Okay. And I know also part of the, the CAF or cloud adoption framework, there's um, usually some kind of guidance on what required skills there are for each of these modules, because they can, this can also vary depending on what kind of role uh, needs to be involved. So for the strategy part, what's the essential skills that you or the team involved need to, to sit on to make this a success? So there's actually quite a bit of skills uh, that the framework directly implies that perhaps you need to ramp up on this. So there's business planning skills, and these are both technical and operational at the same time. Uh, some of those are getting started with Azure, creating your Azure account, and these are not tasks. It's not a task to create your Azure subscription. It's a skill in understanding what entails when you want to create your Azure account. Then there's uh, Azure Networking Basics, Azure Compute Options, Data Storage Options. So this is a bit like the Azure Fundamental Certification, getting the big picture, what is Azure? So those are business planning, and then you have a bit of organizational skills that I often feel might be even more challenging because these include uh, items like breaking down the silos and fiefdoms in the sense that how do we get people buy-in and aligned on this goal that, that we're trying to reach. Yeah. So it's not just about sitting at the table and draw a plan, but you actually have to understand the technology you're moving to as well. Because when you do move into the cloud, there's, of course, things you need to understand, limitations, quotas, capabilities, you know, resiliency, whatever will be part of, of that 
the end, end outcome, if you will, is something that you need to understand also in this strategy part. And definitely. And now that I'm, I'm looking at the list of the skills, and, and we'll put the link in the show notes as well, uh, I'm looking at the list of the skills. I understand now that this applies to both the, the company, the business, wanting to move to the cloud. And if they hired a partner to help with them, this also applies for the partner. And this is especially relevant for them because the partner needs to understand what the organizational skills are and how best to support the company in reaching this goal. Yeah. Okay, so moving to the next step. So we, we covered strategy. The next one is, is planning. And, and planning, obviously, is, is critical and useful, and you can do it quite rapidly if you have a smaller environment or you can spend a lot of time in here. But now that you have the strategy in place, you actually know, what you're planning for. So the planning module has four steps as well. Uh, step number one is digital estates in, in understanding what business outcomes we have and what sort of an inventory do we have at the moment. The next one is initial organizational alignment. So now that we know the, the basics of the plan, how do we align those with the expectations in the cloud? Then uh, getting ready with skills, and finally, creating the cloud adoption plan. How do we specifically adopt the cloud based on the strategy and also based on the inventory and also based on the skills that we have now? Yeah, and I, I know there is also available for download a cloud adoption framework strategy and planning template, which helps you both with the strategy part and then the planning part. And as you mentioned, the, this part, the planning requires you to already have defined your strategy or the, the overarching goals of what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so moving and on, if, if we have the plan, what do we need to, you know, now we have created the plan for what action we need to take. How do we, you know, get ready for putting this into reality, not just in theory? So now we actually get to the technical bits and pieces here. So the next step is getting ready. And as part of this, uh, we'll create the Azure setup guide so we can go through the available guide and figure, do we have all the tools and skills in place now? Do we need to tweak the guide to fit us better? You might have different requirements than this guide that the CAF has. And then you create what's called your landing zone. So this is the place uh, where you will point your environment and and where you will inevitably be migrating your content. And then you start expanding on that, and then there's a bunch of best practices as well. Yeah, all right. And, and perhaps to highlight a couple of the things from the Azure Setup Guide, it's guidance on organizing your resources, managing access, how do we do monitoring and reporting, how do we manage co costs and billing. So the usual things, if you are already very familiar with Azure, but keep in mind that this uh, framework is intended at any level for any company. So it also goes through these basic things. Yeah. And, and talking about the, the ready phase, there's also some skills that are relevant for, for us to understand for the ready and landing zones, if you will. And this is a bit more technical, whereas the strategy and, and planning is a little bit more on understanding the platform, understanding what you have, where you want to go, and the capabilities. And the ready is a little bit more technical about the environment you're going to land in. 
So you'll have, in my experience, you would need a, a bit deeper understanding of Azure. You don't necessarily need to be an expert in every section of, of Azure as such, but understanding what workloads you want to migrate, which is your strategy and plan, will help you understand what you need to learn if you don't already know that on the Azure side, on the technical plane as well. Yeah, and looking at the skills for the ready phase, they also have quite a bit of additional resources. For example, there's a Pluralsight course on foundations for cloud architecture and a second course on Microsoft Azure architecture. So it also means that there, not everything is, is uh, baked in to the framework. The framework points quite freely to different available resources that perhaps you need to have a look at this, this, and this. Then come back here and, and, and you have those skills that we're asking from you. So what I think is that when you start going through the framework, first familiarize, familiarize yourself with the different options. And when you, when you build your team that actually gets to work on, on, on this framework, you can then pick and point and say, okay, this part of the team, you need to go through the foundations for cloud architecture first. And this part of the team, you need to design the migration architecture based on this guidance. And I, I really like this, the way they structured both the documentation, but also the idea and the process behind the, the cloud adoption framework. It's, it's pretty intuitive when you go there and you take a look, what's required for me to finish this phase. It's almost like you do a, a training. And it says, in order to complete this module, you need to understand these things. And the same thing happens with the cloud adoption framework where it says for you to do a successful cloud migration or whatever you're, you're going to do right now, this is your essential skills to master. And this is what you need to learn. These are the things you need to plan and then execute. Um, so talking about my migrations, we have now defined the strategy. We have put a plan into action. We have gotten our, ourselves ready on the technical side with the Azure setup guides and first landing zones and, um, you know, kind of aligned with the best practices we want to follow. Now, the next step would be migrate. And what does that entail if we go into this phase? So this is the thing that the IT pros have been waiting for. We actually get to migrate something. And since we've identified the workload that we want to migrate, we start by migrating that. It could be that we'll be using uh, some of the built-in migration tools in Azure, or it might be a custom migration. Uh, we might pick something from an existing system, but then um, reshaping that for the cloud or, or simply using those learnings from the previous version and rebuilding it from scratch for the cloud as well. So this goes through identifying the first migration workload and then uh, choosing the migration scenario and a bunch of best practices to go with this, depending on what you're migrating and how do you want to migrate that using the framework. All right, and, that makes and, sense. And I think, so one of the recommendations is, as, as I've used it and as I, I think it still stands, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you know about migrating your first workload, it's don't do everything at once. Take yeah. one thing, move that over, and then follow through with the guidelines of the frameworks. You can assess that workload and the technical fit for where you put it. Uh, you migrate this actual service and then you can manage cost and billing because this is something you might forget about. Otherwise, it's you have a plan, you, you have the strategy and the plan and you're getting ready and then you just move things over. 
what about the costs and how can you optimize the cost and manage all, all of these things? And you, you kind of need to optimize and, and promote those things in the right way. And by my experience is you don't move everything you have. You move one workload and then you test the fit of your design, if you will, of the calf or your strategy, your plan and, and your execution of that plan to see what's this first initial small workload actually successful. And if it was, then you can start doing the rest. Exactly. And one other, other suggestion here is that the whole framework is quite thoughtful, meaning that you don't start reading through the cloud adoption framework on a Friday, then choose to do your migrations on a, on a Saturday and get Why everything <laughs> done and get everything done by Sunday noon, because that's the classic way. If it fails, you still have Sunday afternoon and Sunday, Monday night to fix everything back to how it was when it still worked. This is more about, let's think this through, let's plan, let's have the strategy. And then when we have all of these done, and this might take weeks already, uh, then we start the migration. And then after migration, we can move to innovation, meaning that now we have something running in Azure. Now we can innovate on top of this, or perhaps we can expand those migration efforts to, to include additional uh, workloads than just a single VM or a single database. So talking about innovation, uh, one of the next steps we talked about here is innovate. And what does that entail? So we have gone through strategy, plan, uh, getting ready and migrate. And now we're at innovate. What does that mean? So innovation, um, I sat at school last year. I think I sat two, two full days on, on innovation lectures and they gave us a book to read on innovation as well. It was super interesting. I'll, I'll try to dig the link as well for that. Uh, and, and it kind of opened my eyes that innovation is the act of commercializing your ideas. And it's super hard. You cannot get a team and say, okay, it's nine o'clock in the morning, innovate. I'll come back by lunchtime to get your innovations and, and then we'll do a business on this. That's the hard bit. And the cloud adoption framework here, it has a separate innovation guide and it has nice ideas in there, but these are also the things that you need to reflect on. And when I say reflect, it means you need to read through this, you need to discuss with different stakeholders, you need to test, you need to try, and then come up with an idea that you can then further innovate to become something the business would benefit from. All right. And are there, talking about what we did in the other sections, are there any specific skills that are required for, you know, successfully delivering the innovation phase of the CAF? So there's a lot of content in here. Uh, perhaps I'd, I'd highlight there isn't like a, list of skills that just learn these and then you're, uh, you're Microsoft good to go. <laughs> yeah, you're a Microsoft certified innovation master. It's, it's more about uh, opening your, your mind in a way that, that, that you're freely taking inputs and outputs from different groups of people and, and, and ideas. And when you read through a lot of things, you test without fear of failure that allows you to start building something better. So a couple of highlights from the innovation section here. One of those is empowering adoption, meaning that you will empower developers to quickly 
build what they need to build. There's mention of Azure DevOps in here, of course. There's uh, the innovation characteristics, for example, how do you scale those? So if somebody starts building a solution using a virtual machine, and then later on, they want to scale that to be a mixed reality solution, as an example, to get something innovative going on. Then there's, there's these angles on, on how do you build on top of this. And it isn't about the technology in the sense. It's more about uh, trusting the team, but all about how do you support those efforts. Because when you start inno innovating something, you cannot say on a Monday morning that I will innovate something and by Friday it will be ready and it will look like this because you're, you're not producing cartons of milk. You're producing something you don't know yet. And at some point, when you take a step back, then you understand, oh, this was what we were actually building. But it needs to be, there, there needs to be a focus in there. It, it cannot just be clicking through links and watching YouTube videos in hopes that something sparks up. It, that there, there needs to be a process and as part of the innovation guide, it has this, this uh, set of scenarios and set of best practices and a process to follow through. Yeah, that makes sense. So everything that we talk about here comes down to one thing, structure. structure well, two things, structure and process. But a good process has structure. Uh, so I think that's a, a key essential to have exactly what you say. Don't just run away and, and do something because you can or it seems to work, or don't just develop something because it's the easy way out. Think about it. Think about where you are, where you're going to go, how you're going to implement that, and innovate around that. And maybe take a little bit of extra time to run through all of the cycles once more to understand, are we, at least do we think we are doing this in the best way we can? Exactly. And, and to get an analog to life from here, when I started going to, to the gym and meeting up with my personal trainer once a week and, and he gives me this uh, exercise program that I follow on my own then. Uh, he said to me, I think this was about four months after we started training together. He said that it's, it's all about showing up, figuring out what you need to do, giving some, putting some thought into it, but not exhausting yourself every day and trying to do your maximum results. It's, it's more about the consistency and the discipline than, than, than trying to hit those highest goals every day. And that's the hard bit with this framework as well. There's a lot of discipline required. There's a lot of content in here. And, and you need to be confident enough that even if there's a lot of content in here, you don't have to memorize everything. You follow the guide, guidance and you have this discipline and this process that, that, and, and you trust that it will take you through and, and get you to your results that you're looking for. Yeah. And I think we, we brushed on this before. This is a framework. It's not something set in stone that you have to do every single part of. If you need to migrate X amount of workloads, you use the framework, the parts of the framework that will help you get that done. You don't have to use every single resource, tool, strategy, and process behind it, but it's there to help you kind of get through all of the phases from uh, you know, on-prem on data center to a native cloud solution. So next section after innovation is govern. What do we do here? 
So this is cloud governance, and we've had a couple of episodes on Azure governance, Azure policies, blueprints, what have you. So without going back to those topics, uh, this is about establishing an understanding on how do we govern everything we have in the cloud now. Uh, and as part of this, there's a benchmarking, um, benchmarking step where you assess what's your current state and what would you like the future state to be and benchmark the difference between these. And that helps you building your initial governance foundation. And typically governance is, is a document. It could be a PowerPoint, it could be a Word document, but I often advise that don't create a governance foundation document that, that's 57 pages long. Nobody's going to read this, but perhaps try to, try to have the, the guidelines in, in five slides or two pages on a, on a Word document. And that could be something that people can actually quickly glance and, and internalize that, okay, this is the ideas that we will try to adhere to when we do governance in the cloud. All right. And there's some tool available, I know, for specifically for the ben benchmarking stuff, the, the governance benchmark tool that you can use. So you don't have to go through everything yourself and, you know, do everything ground up. There is also the, the governance benchmark tool to assess your current state, exactly what you mentioned. Uh, and then, you know, what the future state that you want to have. And then you can establish the vision for applying that framework. Uh, yeah. And, and you will and, get and help with that as well. And, and as part of the govern bit, there's governance guides. There's, there's, um, there's one guide for standard enterprise governance and one guide for complex enterprise governance. And I had a look at the, at the complex one because, yeah, it, it says complex. It has to be super interesting. And it's, it's all of the things we've discussed previously, but it goes into quite a bit of detail. As an example, uh, organizing your resources. How do you create your subscriptions? How do you create your management groups? How do you put your resource groups in those subscriptions? Uh, how do you define the different policy definitions? Do you create your own? Do you use the existing ones? How do you do role-based access control? So the usual things, but often you treat these things individually. You have a look at RBAC and say, okay, we're good with this. But with this governance guide, it goes through everything. And there's pages upon pages of, of guidance in here. Yeah, so it, it touches a bit on exactly what you also mentioned here, what we talked about in the previous episode about Azure policies and the previous to that, which touches on Azure governance. So we can kind of establish the identity baseline, security baseline, uh, and kind of have consistency with all the resources, which we can then with Azure policies and stuff like this. Uh, and not to forget, as always, cost management, because whenever you move things to the cloud, you need to be aware of the costs. It is not always as apparent as the pricing calculator might suggest. So it's always a good idea to keep this on top of mind at all times. When you move, where are you going to save costs by not using the hardware and data centers you have, uh, and you're going to move them into the cloud? What additional costs will you have on the bill if you use them in the way that you design? Exactly. And there's one last module left, and that is called manage. And it's about managing the operations, the day-to-day -day things, and, and what you should be focused on in there. How do you enhance the setup? 
how do you do inventories in the future and how do you do operational compliance. Now that we have things in the cloud, it might be that six months from now we keep on adding more and more workloads. How do we keep this together without going through the whole framework again for each upcoming workload? So when we come into this manage uh, manage module or the final bit, talking about skills, again, are there required skills for us to kind of master this or is this like a kind of catch-all kind of phase? So there's a list of, of all the skills that apply to all of the modules. And then there's a couple of uh, specializations. For example, for management, there's uh, two specializations on platforms and workloads. And I, I think this neatly uh, explains the sort of thinking that for platform specialization, you might have this cloud architect, but for a workload specialization, the cloud architect might not understand the business requirements. I, I had one project last year and I was helping out a customer in, in with their platform requirements with Azure, but then they had one workload that had quite a bit of machine learning based components in there. And parts, parts of those were based on Azure, parts of those were based on custom code. And I couldn't really tell what went where. So they needed this workload specialist, an in-house person to focus on those bits. And when that person had questions on the platform, I was there to support him. So the adoption framework also nicely recognizes these special cases that you will run into. Yeah. So I guess the, the final question is, regardless of the size of your company, do I need cloud adoption framework or is it more nice to have? Is it worth so, the effort? So if I was um, a business owner and, and I had the need to start using Azure, I would definitely have a look at this. And if I were to hire a Microsoft partner to help me out, I would definitely ask them, are you following the best practices in here? Because that's often what consultants like to say, yeah, it's based on best practices. And when you ask what best practices, well, the ones on docsmicrosoft.com. Well, there's a lot of content. Some of that might be outdated. Some might only apply to a certain, a certain situation. So. I would say definitely employ and use as much as you can from cloud adoption framework. And if there's things that you disagree with, you can always, always send feedback or even edit, edit the, the content and, and try to kind of push your own opinion through. That's one option. Or you can simply scratch those modules and say, okay, we're not doing this, this, and this because it doesn't apply. But at least you've spent time thinking through those different options instead of just going opening Azure portal and, and building something without planning, without having a strategy, without being ready for the whole change. All right. That makes sense. So to sum that up, we walked through the cloud adoption framework, the seven modules, strategy, plan, getting ready, migrate, innovate, govern, and then manage. Uh, and whether or not you need it, that's a decision we will leave up to you guys. Do take a look at the links. Do take a look at the cloud adoption framework. And if you're already using it and you have additional tips, feel free to reach out and we can include this in, in the show notes and in a future episode as well. Um, and onwards to the final bit of today, which is the Swedish and Finnish word of the day. Let's start with the Finnish one. 
Alrighty. So about 10, maybe 15 episodes ago, I had a Finnish word, which was null and envelop. And that was the teddy bear uh, childcare thingy when you, when you take your kids for checkup at the hospital. So this is uh, an evolved version of that. And, and the Finnish word is nalle ikkunassa. And it means putting a teddy bear on your window or perhaps on the balcony. So in these times, people are, are encouraged to put a teddy bear or multiple teddy bears on their balconies and windows. And it's, it's for kids to spot, to provide a little bit of relief in these challenging times. And the great uh, thing that some genius figured out is that they put an iPad sitting on a window and on the iPad, they put a picture of a Finnish banker who's a famous capitalist in Finland, and his nickname is Nalle as well. And, and they put that picture on Twitter and asked, how is this helping anybody anymore? <laughs> okay, yeah. Let, let's not get started on the Finns and, and teddy bears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, the Swedish word is, or it's a, an idiom or a, or a sentence that is a, a common saying. Uh, in Swedish, it's, du har satt din sista potatis. And the literal translation to that is you have planted your final potato. And you use this when, when you've like had it up to here with someone, you'd say, oh, you've planted your final potato uh, or du har satt din sista potatis. Let me, let me try this. Du har satt din sista potatis. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'll, I'll be sure to remember this because now all of my kids are home 24-7 and and at times you kind of are yeah. up up to when, when it gets frustrating, yeah. Yeah. You just yeah. yell, Do a satin this and they know, uh oh, <laughs> this is <Yeah>. it. <laughs> uh I, I I had a chat with, with my youngest one, he's two and a half years old and, and he's bilingual, so he speaks a little bit of Finnish, but more English now because he goes to an English daycare. Hmm. And and we were chatting about putting uh, a teddy bear on the window. But, but he wasn't too interested in that. But we have a plush R2-D2, the Star Wars robot. He wanted to put that on the window. So we've <laughs> had our R2-D2 on the window now for a couple of weeks. That's parenting done right. <laughs> yes. Alrighty. So this was a fun episode on succeeding with Cloud Adoption Framework. Thanks for listening. And until next time. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. <laughs>